This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello there and welcome to Weekends with Walshy on the Territory Story Podcast, weekend edition. I'm Peter Gowers. The co-host of this monolith is a man called Leon Logan-Nathan. How are you, mate? Always good to be here on a Thursday evening to record Weekends with Walshy. Yeah. and While we still can. Yeah, exactly. And a big shout out to our caller of the week, Jenny, who <laughs> by default is actually caller of the year too now due to a technicality. <laughs> um, did I send that to you, did I? No, but you told me to listen to it and I did. Jenny, love it. Where's the where's the follow through? I want to know what's going on. Oh, I know, had me I salivating in anticipation. <laughs> Anyway, let's get the man himself on to chat to us. It's Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Hello there. Hey, guys. Good to see you both. No masks when we do it this way. (laughs) It's a very strict mask state these days, isn't it? Yeah, and we don't really know why, do we? I mean, if if you've got these cases outside of Darwin... And 1,200 kilometers away from Alice Springs, then why are Darwin and Alice Springs wearing masks? But it's all part of the drama. It's all part of the theater here. I believe it's being referred to as the Mick Gunner buffer. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. You need yourself a good 300-kilometer buffer one way and 1,200 the next to make sure this thing doesn't spread. But in saying that, in saying that, there's been a lot of talk about the mobility of the uh, individuals that have spread the outbreak that's occurred around Catherine. Man, do those Mm. guys get around? They move. Yeah, yeah. Nothing's slowing them down. No. Yeah, get in that trooper and you just get going. As someone pointed out to me earlier today, 14-hour drinking session and then woof, eight hours in the car or wherever they got to. Yeah, and then uh, an hour effort. and a half at the BP station. Why? When <laughs> no, no, I'm just hanging out there. Phone reception uh, probably. Yeah. No, yeah, it's all of it. But now, like, you know, late today here this afternoon, late this afternoon, uh, they reported that the genomic sequencing came back and it is, in fact, from that the earlier case, of course, our ah. lady, our lady caller, who our lady of the us, night. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, you know, she denies that, but the police asked her a hundred times about it, and I, I just meant she was out at night time. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> and it appears that uh, you know maybe their suspicions were that they were onto something there that they thought yeah. this was going to be a problem because yeah, it's connected to that. So this is yeah. from earlier in the month where we thought this was all gone, and now here it has come up and exploded again. And, and, you know, to, to everybody's greatest fear, uh, you know, when we we started hearing word that it was going to be that Gunner was going to announce that it had, you know, that he's finally got positive COVID cases in remote communities that yeah. that just went off online. Indeed. And we, we broke that before anybody else did with our sources and before yeah. Gunner came out. And yeah, it just went wild. And because everybody was afraid that, you know, this day was coming and that it was going to really catch on out in these remote communities given the living conditions and and clearly how the the, the mobility uh and everybody going into those regional centers for things and then going back out to communities and then everybody living in close proximity so um yeah so we've seen that now uh yeah and it's just strange that today now on thursday that there's really been almost a standstill but you can expect that a lot more is coming I agree. And uh, a little shout out to uh, 
the decision makers who agreed to build those uh, not fit for purpose houses with the 22 occupants, look what happens. It, it's going to be, yeah, and <laughs> depending on how that goes. I know, Leon, you have some thoughts on that. I, I just think, look, there's been failures all along the way. And if this thing gets as bad as it, it possibly could, there's going to be a lot of finger pointing and things that could have been done years ago. But yeah, uh, let's talk about that. You know, I, I feel like I want to talk about that, Chris. So uh, as, as you both know, and uh, a lot of our listeners know, you know, over the probably the past several weeks, possibly even months, I'm not sure, you know, I have become increasingly vocal about communities, uh, Indigenous communities, and whether um, whether we should continue to be funding them. Uh, and I've had some pushback from various sources that, you know, outside of this podcast that have pulled me aside and say, say you know, have said to me, look, I don't think you can say that. I don't think you should say that. Um, and I, I welcome that. I do because I don't necessarily think I'm right but I'm just calling it for what I see and, yeah. you know, what, what has been reported about uh, on these communities and, you know, whether the reporting has been fair or not, uh, they don't look like they are in any good state. And mm. I just question whether, you know, whether there are outcomes, you know, whether we are seeing any outcomes from all of this, any good outcomes. And, uh, you know, I still have a, a very big, serious question mark over it because you know would i want my um children going growing up in an environment like that no the answer is no now yes i'm, I'm bringing to bear my own you know expectations my own experience lived experiences i understand that but i i just don't see that those children are getting a fair go um in terms of growing up and having the same sort of opportunities that the children of the Larrakia people are having here in Darwin. And I say that having spoken to a Larrakia man the other day, Peter and I spoke to him, um, Nigel Brown, CEO of the Larrakia Development Corporation. Mm -hmm. And while he laments the fact that, uh, you know, um, his, his traditional lifestyle has all but been erased by the fact that, Darwin exists on Larrakia land. Um, he himself has had opportunities that you uh, you wouldn't see any indigenous kid in any one of the many many settlements out in the middle of nowhere have. Mm -hmm. Now I know these are difficult conversations, Chris, and I'm not suggesting for one minute that I'm right. Mm -hmm. But what I am really against is the fact that you know, this sort of cancel culture or whatever you want to call it, where you're just told, I oh, know you can't say that, you shouldn't say that. Well, then if <laughs> yeah. you don't say that, then what happens? Yeah, you just never... put up with it for another 40 years and then another generation gets lost. Yeah, absolutely. No, Leon, I think you're right to be having this conversation. Yeah, I mean, no, you know, whether I can add anything in on that, I mean, just from what I've seen myself is, uh, yeah, I mean, look, yeah, look, I've seen, I've seen governments come and go here now that continue to struggle under, you know, what they need to provide to those places. And we're talking billions of dollars in terms of housing, infrastructure, those sorts of things that, that no government has ever been able to meet. Right. So yeah, does that have to start 
to be looked at. I mean, is this just, you know, it goes back to the whole self-government here and, and the infrastructure deficit that was left behind for decades and that we're still catching up to that and that, you know, we don't have those services. We don't have the roads to connect everybody the way that it should probably be connected. And then, you know, you get into those remote communities and you're trying to build homes and the prices are exorbitant and you just, you know, you almost can't do it. And then what happens in the homes, you know, become fall into you know become dilapidated or abused or misused and uh it just seems like you're throwing billions of dollars at this and nothing ever does change so yeah i think you've got to have that conversation um i think we got to have that conversation with the decision makers here who are doing this and probably a, you know a, a, a broad spectrum of stakeholders in that too and um you know, I wonder, yeah, after something like this and, you know, the place, little place called Robinson River population with 300 or something that nobody had really heard of before. And does that kind of become part of this conversation wherever this goes? And I mean, we're hoping that that, that it can all be mitigated here and that, uh, you know, you're not going to have 100 people with COVID and you're not going to have to use these body bags that they sent out last year to remote communities. And God forbid, we don't want that to happen. But yeah, is that, is it a time and a place to start having that discussion? And the political leaders are the ones who have to do it. You know, they're the ones who are going to be making these decisions. So, and whether that becomes a bipartisan thing too, uh, along with some of the other problems, the, the, the Northern Territory is so unique a jurisdiction that, and it does so many entrenched problems that, the only way you're going to get out of it is if everybody gets on board with something and that just hasn't happened today. So no, I look, I think that's what a podcast is great for Leon is that we could start talking about it, but yeah. And carrying on that conversation, get people talking about it. it's not taboo to talk about where the funding should be allocated and whether or not some other places maybe do have to be cut off um, from the tab here and, and see what happens. I don't know. Those decisions are made by those people and then to move in, like you said, with the Larrakee people here in Darwin, getting different, getting, you know, advantages over the people in Robinson river, uh, you know, wherever else. So yeah, let's, yeah, you know, it'll be, be interesting to, to see if any politician would actually have the guts to even, listen to something like that and who's going to really spearhead that charge if it isn't the politicians uh, look, i don't hold a whole lot of hope uh, you know for either side of politics or or from the territory or the federal level it's just you yeah, can they don't to have someone ahead. come in from from left field and yeah. have you yeah. know and, and not be afraid of losing their seat not being afraid of losing power and just saying, look, guys, you know, I'm not saying this because I hate Indigenous people course, or, yeah. or, or because I'm trying to, uh, you know, get, get divide us politically. I'm just saying this because it's common sense. Yeah. You know, when you look at, speaking, yeah. look at, the, look at uh, you know, look, for example, I mean, we were talking off air just minute, a minute ago about, um, about uh, you know, the, the tracing of where everyone was in Catherine during this period mm. and then the contact tracing that was going on. And I think you see, you mentioned that somebody was at a pub for eight hours uh, and then ended up in, in the, in, at Robinson river. Uh, you know, what, what, what is going on? Like, seriously, is that a, is that, is that a good outcome for someone to be spending that long in a pub? You know, I, I just, it's, it's, what good is it? What, what good is it producing? I mean, this isn't, what, what do they call it? Uh, self, 
uh, determination. I mean, this is just nonsense. Mm. You know, people oh. should be taken out of those communities and be sent to school, get a good education, and then if you want to go back there, fine. You know, at least you're making an educated decision, yeah. not a decision that's imposed on you. Yeah, it becomes one of those things when you've got the slaver government where they're always saying, not that there's anything wrong with that. You know, <laughs> she she's a sex worker. Not that there's anything wrong with that. She shouldn't be judged, you know. that They're, they're spending the day at the pub and then going wherever they so choose. Not that there's anything wrong with that, you know. Instead of actually addressing stuff and addressing issues and saying, um, well, there might be something wrong with some of this. And, yeah, what, what do you do? Uh uh, yeah, we're not going to see that leadership anytime soon. But yeah, let's you know continue talking about it because that's the only way to kind of normalize the conversation. I think and get people talking about it. It was the continuation of the Corona crawl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just All right. Final. Well, uh, this time last week, I think we were going to break the story about the uh, the lockdown, uh, but we didn't. Because I think you were you yeah, I think you were, you were getting phone calls while we were uh, recording. Yeah. This about was that fact. last week or the week before? It was last Man, week. I, last was week. It, last week? <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was both, I reckon. Yeah, was maybe. It? Yeah, we had the Brahman okay. lockout last week, and then the Catherine thing. Yeah, I think popped up at about the same time uh, right. a week later. So uh, take us ago. through that, uh, Chris, and 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 take us to to the you know from. From the first um, outbreak all the way through to today, <laughs> where we're being told now that uh, there's nothing to see, it's all good, no more new cases? Well, long story short, mm. that's where we are. Uh, <laughs> now, look, yeah, um, you know, we just, we, we get these things. And I think it was a couple of Thursdays ago when we all went into it, when it was the... Uh, uh, when it was this guy from Tyndall, right, from who had gone to Catherine, mm. and we didn't know anything about it. He didn't know where he got it. And then I uh, come to find out this young lady, 21, uh, comes into the picture, and we find that she is the source case for that lockdown for Catherine and lockout for us. And then, of course, the embarrassment there and, the, you know, what we were talking about last week with Gunnar saying, oh, you know, she's putting that up on Facebook that she's a sex worker, but this is crucial. And then don't judge her for that. But this is crucial information and this could lead to, to longer, more severe outbreaks. And I was saying last week, look, you know, you get to a point why we ran that story was what is the government not telling us in this stuff? And I think withholding information is a very serious issue and one that this government is, is very much guilty of. And we've seen that in other instances. And I think that that's going on, you know, to this day on Thursday night here. I don't think we're being told the whole story about everything. And I think a lot of those things. So when we, you know, when when the lockdown or the lockouts lifted here in Darwin, we got to wear the masks until what was the last Friday, right? Was um, okay. You know, does that really make a lot of sense with the masks? I, I don't think so. If we're okay, but Catherine, you know, they still had to wear their masks, and I, I think they extended that lockout, so they knew something was going on down there in Catherine. And they didn't say that. They just said, oh, you know, just to be cautious, we're, you know, keeping this going here and you got to wear your masks. And Catherine, you're going to have to wear them until Monday. Well, and then Monday comes along and here we go. And now we know that we're into that. We've got some other cases and 
and all this and all these things. So, but then they don't they don't block anybody from leaving on Monday when they say Catherine's got you know more cases. What was it, eight or nine? And uh, and then you had a mass exodus by some reports of people leaving, heading to Darwin, some yeah. heading to Alice Springs, Tennant Creek, going wherever they wanted. And uh, the Robinson police, River, apparently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and even that was before and then over the weekend, right? So. Uh, yeah, what, why aren't they telling us everything when they, when they announce these things? So I think it's really crucial. Like if, if, if they knew that Catherine was still very much at risk, well, don't just say, uh, keep the masks on just to be sure. Yeah. Say like, look, we suspect something's going on. Everybody get tested, you know, do what you have to do and be very careful there. Don't just make it look like it's something that's dragging on for the sake of it. And anyway, yeah, now, and here we are now where, uh, what are we up to 19 or something now? Uh, cases uh and all of them indigenous uh people uh which is very concerning for the the health officials and and i, and I think everybody in the territory really because nobody wants to see how this thing's gonna you know some people say catch on like wildfire there and, and um tear through these communities so we hope that that doesn't happen uh but you know a lot of the times as i was saying with that we don't hear the whole story and things just kind of go away and we think, oh, okay, everything's fine. And we become complacent. And I think that's what happened in this case, because they didn't tell us everything. And, uh, yeah, look, until they, until they stop doing that, um, expect people to become complacent and expect these, these kind of outbreaks to continue, I think, um, unless everyone's being extremely cautious. And I guess we have to be at some point, but at some point we all got to get back to our normal lives too. And we got to accept that it is going to be around everywhere. Yeah. And um, whenever these things happen, it's been happening all around the country. I always think it's good to just spare a thought for those friends of ours who uh, I picture them wading waist deep in the, wastewater treatment facilities because <laughs> they're our frontline workers in this situation because I, I don't know how that works. And to be brutally honest, I don't want to know how it works. But uh, <laughs> this is how they're keeping the world safe, by wading through wastewater <laughs> think, treatment farms. I'm trying to think about this. A couple of months ago, I think must have been when we did the first lockdown a few months ago now, maybe. Uh, ABC, I'm pretty sure, did do a story about the guy who's, <laughs> who's testing the water. And it, yeah, it was not glamorous work, that's for sure. Yeah, um, yeah and we're basing it on that. But, you know, that there were traces of that last week too, right? Or earlier this yes, week. And yes. it's just, the gunner kind of wrote it off as not important. And uh, because they know where people in the community who have it, who are allowed to quarantine at home now, right. uh, would be. So there's, like I said, there's a lot of stuff they're just not telling us. And I think until you inform the public of everything, expect more issues like this. To happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, it, it, it certainly has been concerning. Um, I thought when, you know, we had the lockout the week before last in Darwin and Catherine, and then when that was lifted, I thought, okay, well, that's, you know, we've had a couple of these little close calls before. Um, when they then, came back and said, actually, Catherine's going back into lockdown or lockout, however they call it, and there's nine cases. That concerned me. And then when there was more the next day, and some were saying 22, but I think it settled on 19 or thereabouts, um, I thought, gee, you know, I I saw this happen in Melbourne 12 months earlier. So um, let's, let's hope like hell they've caught it and those that should be isolated are. Um, I, I, from what I've read anyway, 
the um, the family who had the nine cases or whatever it was ha- have all been uh, airlifted to the what's it called the International Center of Resilience. No, just no, no, Pete, no, no, no. <laughs> that just that national disaster. Yeah, no, it's called the Howard Springs <laughs> oh, <laughs> The Howard Springs Hotel. That's right. Yeah, let's call it that. Um, I, I refuse to publish that in the, in our paper at all. The Center for National Resilience, this Orwellian thing that I, I despise. I picture a lot of people I, doing yoga there, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> or training for something. <laughs> but but no, um, yeah. Anyway, let's uh, let's hope it um, it goes away, so to speak. Well, yeah, and then yeah, and for real this time, and that everybody does what they have to do, make sure yeah. it stays away. Yeah. So exactly. just before we uh, we move to the next story, I, I just want to end with uh, this um, commercial, if you like. Those people that are interested in in looking at where a lot of these Aboriginal communities are, I encourage you to get onto a website called Bushtel, B U S H T E L. It's a Northern Territory government website. You can type in any community you like. You can even type in Robinson River like I've just done. Uh, and it will show you on, the, on a map of the Northern Territory exactly where that is. But the funnest thing that you can do with that is you can zoom right in and you can to the point where you can actually count the number of houses. And then you can zoom out again and you can have a look to see when we talk about the fact that it is in the middle of nowhere, we are not exaggerating at all. Robinson River sounds quite uh, exotic to me. It sounds quite plush. Oh, yeah. go, go have a look, right? And, and, and there's some really interesting information there about what services the government uh, provides, uh, uh, you know, what the water quality is like. <sighs> it's just what's, mind-blowing. What's your cutoff, Leon? How, how many is too few houses to keep these going? Oh, mate, just have a look. I think all Territorians should okay. be taking a course in Bushtel as part of their right. education. So there's with 300 and some people there, 50 houses or something? Maybe? Uh, I, I, I wasn't even counting 50 houses, yeah. uh, Chris. I was counting a lot less than that. Yeah. I could yeah. be wrong about that, but yeah. Hmm. But those living a traditional lifestyle wouldn't be in a house anyway, would they? Yeah, well, that's right. Anyway, far be it from me to be the uh, person coming in from the left. Now, uh, let's move on to our next story, shall we, Chris? And uh, actually, I'm, I'm quite outraged by this one. I, should, I shouldn't go in with any form of jocularity whatsoever. <laughs> Nearly 2,500 Northern Territory public servants have not received their first COVID-19 vaccination and faced the axe. What's going on, mate? <laughs> well, what is going on? What is going on now? How public servants are there. Well, okay, twenty-five thousand. Well, yeah, now that is that is about rough twenty-five thousand. Now that's counting full-time and casual, yeah. and these contracts and, and whatever else. And it, very casually. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll get into that later, but um, <laughs> or another week anyway. We'll get into that, but uh, yeah, there's um, yeah. So look, it was something like ten percent. Now I should just say this that so that these numbers in this story was of course we published this on uh friday afternoon and that was uh november 12th when the 
the mandate, the vaccine yep. mandate was going to take effect. You need to be first yep. dose by midnight that day. Yes. So we get we get some information sent to us that we verify through various sources. And we know that this is accurate. This is legit straight from the government's databases. Okay. I'm going to make that very clear that this is uh, official stuff, that this, these are the real numbers. Uh, and as of 2 p.m. Friday, it showed that roughly of the of the roughly 25,000 full-time and casual government employees, there were close to 2,500 who had not shown a record of having a vaccination, uh, any vaccination. Yeah. Uh, and now there were roughly 1,600 at that time who had had one vaccination and close to 100 more who have their vaccination certificates currently awaiting official government approval. Uh, of that 2,500 that were unvaccinated, 1,000 were full-time employees. Wow who had not provided proof of at least one vaccination and 1500 were considered casual staff. Uh, yeah. And then uh, what we were told there were about 30 people in total who had a medical exemption accepted or it was pending. They put in something for that. Mm. Now, now like what's going on on Friday when we, when we published this is uh, we noticed that the other media is reporting. They're trying to get Gunner to tell them these numbers and i think even the, the clp put out a press release that day saying why can't the government just tell us what their numbers are like why are they hiding this well yeah. we had it and we had a 2 p.m friday afternoon and th th this was legit now also added into that was uh, or a part of that i guess kind of breaking down from other sources that we that we talked to was that somewhere around 200 teachers had not received their first vaccination that's included in those numbers uh and i believe there was yeah cdu which wouldn't have been included in there but they had 300 staff who had not been vaccinated earlier in the week now uh, some of these numbers changed and so you know the government didn't want to give out these numbers so they come out on on Monday. I mean, look, there, there's a whole bunch of other things that happen in the meantime, too, over the weekend, which is there's then this idea that that there are going to be not only exemptions, but that there's good that if that, that a lot of them are going to be stood down on full pay for two weeks wow. or more. And and then they can decide again. So they've given this grace period to them. Uh, and, and, and Gunnar had to come out and say, no, 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 that's not true. Even though there were letters sent around, you know, we had one from one department, the NT news was reporting one from the health department, but what, what, and it was the same letter. So somebody in the public service, some senior high ranking senior official, uh, disseminated this or told the department chief executives to send this around. And the letters said, you know, you'll be stood down on full pay if you're not vaccinated. Now, Gunner finds out about this. And, and I, I just want to comment on that for a second and what poor leadership this is by this little man. So do I. Because this is, this is exactly what is wrong with the Gunner government is that they let the public service do whatever the hell they want. And then when it becomes, when they, when they feel the political heat from that, from, from the public service decision, then they start reining it in and then they start showing or trying to show leadership, but they're not respected. They were never respected. Michael Gunner was never respected by any senior public servant from the beginning. 
from when he was first elected and he's having dinner at Hanuman restaurant. And that's a whole story for another time that we'll get into. But I, suffice to say, they never respected him as a leader. And you just continue to see this. Look, even when that, that lockdown a couple of weeks ago happened, they had to come out. Remember, they had to bring Chalker out the next morning to correct things. But whether or not frontline staff who weren't vaccinated could show up. And the reason that happened was because Gunner's office came up with a plan the night before and the health officials in the health department came up with their plan and they weren't the same and they didn't communicate to one another. Mm. So then they had to mix them all together. But this is like, again, like I say, a lack of leadership here and a real failure of leadership. So he finds out on the weekend that these letters have gone around telling people, oh, you'll just be stood down on full pay for a while. So he says, oh, no, 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 I'm ending that. I'm ending that. Uh, so he apparently ends that. And at the same time, so by, by Monday, Tuesday, I think they're putting out their numbers and he's saying now, well, we're reporting 2,500. He's saying it's 700 to so 700, uh, public servants w- will be sacked without, it without doesn't pay. Matter if, it doesn't matter if it's seven. Listen, yeah. last Friday was a really interesting day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I know we talked last week about the, whatever they're called, the United Business Front, we, we had already seen in advance of Midnight Friday, we'd already seen some businesses close. We, we then saw this frenzy of activity on social media, even um, the local commercial radio stations had interviews going, and these business owners were genuinely concerned for themselves, for their employees' livelihood, for their businesses. Now, we were told that come Saturday, businesses would be closing en masse in Darwin because, you know, as in the case of um, uh, one of the businesses I heard, 40% of their staff were not vaccinated. Yeah, I heard the same, yeah. And my understanding is that's, you know, quite common. It, It is simply unacceptable for the government to make a mandate for this to happen and for the business that I work for, for the business that you work for, for the business that Leon works for, to have to lose staff, and I'm talking with... Which now, we did, can I just as, say, on the record. As, as did yeah. we, and I'm talking a lot of these people have now got ongoing mental health issues, uh, despite the fact that they're unemployable at this point in time, It is unacceptable for this government to come out and do that and not mandate their own freaking staff and control it. It's just, it's beyond mind-numbing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, look, he's claimed claimed 700 now have been sacked and are gone um, because they failed to do it. Sacked? Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. But, But were they permanent employees? Yeah, look, I don't know. Uh, look, uh, Leon, these numbers weren't given to us, of course. They were given to other media. And I can tell you that I don't think that they're accurate. And I just know, look, I know that these were the numbers that we had. These numbers are accurate as of Friday at 2. Now, if something happened between 2 p.m. Friday and midnight on Friday where 1,800 people all of a sudden got vaccinated, um, <laughs> you know, I, I find that hard to believe. At an overnight vaccination clinic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that takes like yeah three hours per person. Um, yeah, I 
yeah. So I look, I don't, I don't put a lot of faith in those numbers. I think that they're mixing some things up in terms of full-time, part-time contract, casual, whatever. Full employees. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't. And we're, we're, look, we're going to see that in the budget, right? If they, if he's actually sacked 700 people, yeah. we're going to see that in the budget, but. Well, I, so I just thought it was a gift from heaven. Because yeah. you know, how Correct. else would you be they able to make a cut into in, in, into the public service? I know, uh, but you then know, you're thinking, is... does he politically like that? I mean, it's what's good for the territory, but politically, is that good for him? And we know that that's all that matters to Michael Garner, not what's good for the territory. It's what's politically. But is he, has, he for him. has he done anything in the last say nine months that's politically good for him? Really? I mean, well, every day he comes out and does this well, little soap opera. We're yeah, into yeah. here he, where he, he did win the election. Uh, and I agree with that, Leon. He did win the election. But, you know, this week I thought, and, and, you know, I'll stay for the record. I don't want anybody dying in the territory because of this thing, right? This, this COVID. But it wasn't lost on me the fact that he's, you know, he's. Sweary Mick, he's saved the free world. <laughs> Not anymore. Territory. Northern Territory is his baby. Well, it's here now. So your whole laurels yeah. are gone. And yeah. you went to the last election with no ideas, no spending plan, no money, no budget because you felt you didn't have to do that, no mm. respect. He's then um, put a cap on the uh, public service wages. They're outraged about that. I note with interest the teachers mm. union are working overtime on spending money saying, you know, vote no for having the pay freeze. So he's got he's got nothing left in the bank. And it's like Andrews in Victoria who was at record highs 12 months ago. He'll be turfed out from for some absolute no name come the next election. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like the like I yeah, you get that sense in the community that the tides really turned against him in the past, yeah, 13 months here yeah. where they've had enough of him and how he's kind of gone about this. But to him in his mind, it's all political though, right? Like, look, 80% of people are vaccinated. His numbers, I don't know what the real numbers are, 69% double back. <laughs> but to him, that's a majority. That's like those are the political people he wants to be going after here. These are the people who vote for him in his mind. And this is how they're thinking about it politically. Now, whether or not that's going to pan out like that, I think there are a lot of people who got vaccinated who don't appreciate the ways he's handled it all. And the fact that, you know, to force it to businesses and then not be there to support them or explain to them or give them any idea and any inclination of how they should go about doing Correct. this. Yeah, that's that's blown up in his face. Absolutely. I'll give you that. Yeah, that's, it that's was, not going to uh, be. Look, Here's I, the mandate. I've, you worry about it. That's basically yeah. what happened. I, I've, I, I've got it. I've got a bit of a different view about that. And I'm, look, you, you know, you're all entitled to your opinions and I've got no issue with, with your opinion at all. Uh, but my personal view is that I actually think it was a good thing. I just thought, yeah, it was tough. Don't get me wrong. It was hard for, for the private sector to do this. And, yes, I'm absolutely livid that um, they were dithering around about the the fact that they had two and a half thousand public servants that uh, that weren't vaccinated, and you know there was talk about um, sending them home and all that sort of stuff. I mean, With totally <laughs> livid about that, right? Now, you know, the double standards, mm. but it was hard. I'm I'm not going to lie; it was hard. We had some very difficult conversations that we had to have, but ultimately. We got the job done, and a lot of businesses out there got the job done. Yes, there are a few rogues out there, uh, and I've you know I've heard uh, over the last 
few days that there are a few rogue businesses that think that they can just do what they like. But, you know, it, it'll catch up with them in due course. But i got to say to you guys, you know, like I, I – look, I'm no fan of a lot of things that Ghana has done. And number one at the top of that list is the treatment of the anti-independent, which is why I'm here every week, right? <laughs> but in relation to the COVID thing, I just think he's done a pretty good job. I, you know, look, luck has had a lot to play with it because have a look at where we are now. But yeah. you know what? He, he's been saying this all along. If we don't keep control over this, it will get into the communities and it will be devastating. That's exactly what's happened this week. So to, to sort of say that, you know, he's... he's um, but now it's come in. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. Do we hold him responsible for that at all? I don't know. Like... Uh, look, I, I think uh, the I think, guy who's saying that he's saving everybody, and then look, when there's a failure here, yeah, looks, Chris, that that whole savior complex uh, doesn't resonate with me at all, right? Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to cut through the BS, cut through the political optics and all that sort of stuff, and just yeah. to see it for what it is. Yeah, uh, you know, luck included. Yeah, luck. And I yeah. just think that I would rather be in the Northern Territory than anywhere else in Australia. Um, I would rather be in Australia than almost anywhere else in the world. And I think that over the last 18 months or so, uh, we, have, we, have, we have been virtually unscathed, virtually. You know, yes, we had to, we've, we had to wear a mask for a little bit, but nothing compared to the devastation. I was talking to my, um, my front office manager the other day uh, who's from India and he was telling me at one stage in India, there were 400,000 cases a day. Mm. 400,000. Now, you do the maths on that, right? You, you know, as a general rule, roughly 1% of the people die. You'd have to say in a place like India, uh, you know, it's probably going to be a bit more than 1% given the sort of the state of health over there. Mm. Even if it was 1%. That's 4,000 people a day dying. Yeah. We, we've had zero. Yeah, we don't have a billion people. I get that. Yeah. But, you know, we've had zero. We, we have had a pretty good run. And I have to say, uh, whilst it pains me to say this, because in so many other areas I find this guy to be, you know, less than ideal, but... Um, He's, 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 he's been at the helm while this well, is happening. Yeah, well, he's followed the health advice. Let's be honest about that. Yeah. He, hasn't, he hasn't been too much of a cowboy as much as he likes to play himself as that. He's really just followed the advice that's given to him by health officials, yeah. and that's where we are. And I don't think the CLP would have done any different. Had they I, I, I completely agree with that. I, as I'm, much actually, as, I'm not sure about that. Do you think the CLP would have uh, opened up for the sake of business? No, I, I honestly don't. I mean, look, he's, they've come out on the side of the, of the vaccine mandate, which a lot of businesses don't like. And the CLP has somehow, yes. at some yes. point, quietly in Parliament one day, said that they support it. Yeah. Or they're not out Tip on the, the street corner yelling bit, about it. Bit yeah. Of a wing. Yeah, because, you know, yeah. Mm. Yeah, mm. and but, you know, and that's what we were talking about before, Leah's whole, Leah Fanacaro's whole problem with, trying to distance herself or make any traction here or differentiate herself from the decisions that Gunner would make because it's all the same advice. They're getting the same advice. And yeah, 
And and she's just worried and scared that like everything that she has said has been used against her. Like that she was going to open the borders yeah, yeah, last yeah. July or something. Yes, I mean, yes. that was said at a time when it looked like that might have been okay. And then yeah. she would have yeah. changed because the advice changed. And Victoria. There, it's what I'm saying though, uh, Leon, again, about like leadership and about how you're letting the public service run the place. Mm-hmm. And in this case, let's add up to the public service. Look, hey, yeah. even the frontline guys, they're the ones who are really doing this. And even the back people in the, in the health department are making these calls. Chief health officer, yeah. deputy chief health officer, all those guys have, have certainly done their part to keep this place safe and, yeah. and, and good to this point. But then again, we're, we're in this place where we've now had the first community transmission that's now in remote communities. So it's just, yeah, yeah until this thing's... <laughs> At some sort of resting place, yeah. I guess we. Uh, well, isn't he? We isn't shouldn't he had anyone on the back at this point, right? Well, I mean, I, well, you know, I, I know two day, two day. I get, and, I get and a Leon, qualifier. And yeah. Leon, just to clarify what I was saying before, because mm. much of what you said, I agree with. Mm. But my my main point before was it's unacceptable what the private sector have had to go through. Yeah. And the fact that this turkey can't get his people in line. And uh, there shouldn't uh, be one single well, person unvaccinated still working. Can we uh, can we talk that leads into the next story, doesn't it? Does, it does, it does lovely okay. beautifully into the next story. <laughs> the chief minister gives social media spin doctor vaccination exemption despite saying no exemptions. <laughs> Take it away, Chris. Uh guys, this is this is true. Peter, I'm I'm sorry to have to break this to you. <laughs> I know how angry you just got. This yeah. is what he's done. And so in his office, so he's asked the other day at a press conference, at the press conference on Wednesday, I think it was Wednesday, uh, he's asked uh, Chief Minister, and it's by journalists, not sure who, uh, we couldn't see them. Um, because, you know, we have to watch it at the office online, like <laughs> everyone else. We're not there. But uh, a journalist says, uh, Chief Minister, can you just tell us, is everyone on the fifth floor and in your office, are they all vaccinated? And he says, yes. And then he says, well, hang on a second here. Well, yeah, okay. We've got one one advisor here. How did he put it? He said, we have one person who is working from home. Okay. They are able to do their duties from home. Uh, therefore not meeting all the three tests and their contract, I believe expires in a couple of weeks. So we're allowing them to finish their duties working from home and they will be no longer working for us after the contract expires. Right. So now we understand that the contract does not in fact end in two weeks. It goes much longer. And so what he's done here is he's given an exemption to a social media advisor for Eva Lawler, the Minister for Infrastructure and Natural Resources, given that her social media advisor an exemption to work from home. Now, how many of these 700, if he says he's laid off 700 public servants, how many of them would like to that, that possibility? Oh, you're saying I can work from home. Oh, well, yeah, screw it. I'll just work from home and I won't get vaccinated. Now, and then getting into your private business and yeah. and the employees that had to be fired who weren't given options who weren't given exemptions who weren't given even an amnesty to a certain yeah. degree to last a little while longer uh they're all gone he's acting tough and then he's called out for this and he and he admits it and then nobody calls him on nobody says anything wait a second what are you doing here Chief? Yeah. like how can you actually say this that there are no exemptions to anybody and then give an exemption to to and let's be frank a useless public servant position here social media advisor to eva lawler i mean lawler's doing secret press conferences with the ABC. Selfies? 
Yeah, and 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 he didn't even cover her own secret press conference with the ABC that we'll get into later. Mm. This guy didn't even do that. And and then you know you go and you look at this guy, and it's like, holy, gee, you know, like so. So David Wood wrote the story. Found out the guy's name's Jimmy Griffey. Uh, real name, I guess. Anyway, he uh, I'm trying like to find, an AKA, doesn't it? <laughs> trying to find some of the stuff he says. So. You know, what he points out in the in the uh, article here, Gunner told the NT News the public servants did not receive a grace period after Friday's deadline and were stood down from that point. No grace period, he said. Every single unvaccinated public servant was stood down as of 5 p.m. Friday. That HR disciplinary process commenced immediately. And under that, the first 48 hours you stand down is paid before you go to unpaid stand down. No grace period, no exemption. Public or private, everybody is treated alike when it comes to the show's directions, except for Jimmy Griffey, the great social media guru here in Eva Lawler's office, who, well, in Gunner's office, but doing work for Lawler. Uh, now, on his personal website, Griffey describes himself as a hybrid digital marketing and website development specialist experienced in managing multi-million dollar marketing campaigns and generating hundreds of millions of dollars in sales revenue for the companies and clients he's worked for. Wow. Yeah. So he says that he's generated over $100 million in sales revenue. I've worked with the largest universities and registered training organizations in Australia, as well as some of the highest earning info product creators in the online marketing space. I help companies make more money with the dark art of digital marketing. Wow. So, aren't, we, million bucks. aren't we lucky to have him here in the future? <laughs> that and, was, um, maybe he can turn around the uh, Gunner government's financial fortune. Uh... <laughs> wow. Yeah. If he could do this dark art stuff and he's, he's bringing in $100 million in contracts, like, what, what the hell is he doing working for the anti-government? Yeah. So, well, well, maybe they're just prepared to pay him hundreds of millions of dollars. <laughs> well, perspective. They must think, I mean, he must be way better than we thought he was if they've given him an exemption to work from home so he can Absolutely. continue his practicing his dark arts. You know, it didn't go over well with others, as you. Um, surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah, I believe uh, Alex Bruce with Hospitality NT was saying, you know, he hadn't heard that, but. He said, look, uh, yeah, we would be concerned if there were exemptions or different rules that applied from the public to the private sectors. The mandate needs to be applied equitably across the public and private sectors. Uh, yeah, just talking about some of the people that they've had to to lay off over this or fire. Yep. Uh, he's good, that Alex Bruce. Yeah. I like his... Uh, he's got a good demeanor. Like and a good the cut of his jib, eh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, he doesn't just go flat out hammer and tongs at people, but he's got a a good perspective on, on you know, the, the whole 360 side well, of Well, yeah, he's, he's starting to, uh, to, to, to come out and, and have a bit of a position, you know, playing it both yeah. ways. Some, somebody was saying, I thought he was a labor guy. Well, no, he's a former oh. CLP guy, actually. Oh, right. But, yeah, a lot of people thought he was labor. So, um, you know, and, and politics in his position, you know, I mean, it's, it's that, but he's really got to be representing those businesses and those yeah. businesses. Yeah. And I look, I, yeah. And I, and I, and I think he does a decent job of doing that. So it's good to see him coming out and actually making comments of that somewhat critical and at least holding the government accountable and saying, look, yeah, it's got to be the same for everybody. And the fact that I, I, yeah, I just do not get why one social media advisor why they would grant this guy an exemption. I mean, it's not it important. It seems odd, doesn't it? Yeah, even if he's if it is a couple of weeks, which we're, we're, we're informed it's not. Uh, 
yeah, just don't do that. It's just a bad look. This story went off too when we put this. I don't know what it had. A lot of shares on Facebook and people commenting, a lot of reads, thousands and thousands of reads. So, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know how Gunner explains that. We were expecting today that maybe a journalist would do their job and ask the question, a follow-up about this. Chief Minister, do you want to explain this? Come on, Chris. Yeah, what was I thinking? Joke's on me. There's no <laughs> follow-up questions and there's no questions without notice. Uh, God, yeah. No, that's bad, but... Um, yeah, I just, I just don't know. This is the the, the epitome of hypocrisy, and uh, you know, territories don't like that. <laughs> we can tell from the reads that we're getting yeah, on this story that that is one thing they will not tolerate. And we know that the anti-vax supercell has been, you know, in full swing for quite some time now. Uh, and then, like I said before, you've got these United businesses who are also extremely annoyed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Look, why should I be surprised, I suppose, is a question you'd have to throw in there because we've seen nothing consistent the whole time. But of all the things you didn't want to balls up, this would be one of them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's why it was remarkable he admitted it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, and so quickly too. Yeah. Well, I first said yes. Yeah, everyone's like, oh, well, no, wait a second. Yeah, no, there's the one guy. Mm. Probably more anyway. All right. Well, let's move on to the next story um, because – it's a good one. Now, uh, internal reports contradict the NT government's claims on unsafe Palmerston homes. Chris, tell me more. Okay, you guys remember this from earlier in the year. I think. How it was, could we forget it? Yeah, our best mate, Mark Meldrum. You re- I also remember him from such hits as TIO <laughs> Stadium not being certified. I need and- to get the Eminem, uh, you know, Andy's back. Back again. <laughs> and uh, what else was he involved with? The silks thing and all of that, and uh, all these other unsafe premises around uh, the place that, you know, you would think that the rector of building control might have uh, some input on and some insight into. Anyway, that's what we, we expect from Meldrum, though, is that, that his job is supposed to be the guy who's telling us what's safe and isn't. So in April of this year, you guys remember, they, they, put out, Meldrum does, Mark Meldrum and Department of Infrastructure Planning Logistics. And they put out a, a statement in regards to 18 homes in Bellamac on Palmerston. Now, these homes were constructed in about 2013, 2012, 2013, 2014, somewhere in there. Uh, they all had issues. All 18 were built from by the same builder, which was Titan Homes at the time. Uh, the same developer, which was Bellamac Proprietary Limited. Now, both of those companies are apparently defunct now. Uh, there were issues then raised at the time. The, the owners were saying, look, you know, there's the, the, the boards are sinking here. There's water coming in. There's uh, swaying. Things don't feel safe here. Uh, so the government was made aware of this stuff, man. Now, some of them filed complaints with, you know, consumer affairs, I guess, however they had to do this because the developer and the builder weren't really doing anything. And now I should also point out that these 18 homes weren't just 18 homes. They were part of a, of a former labor government affordable housing scheme that aimed Uh, to, and in some cases, I think the government actually partnered with the people who bought it and became co-owners in some of the instances, right? So the obligation was on the government. I mean, the government oversaw the construction of these. They brought in the developer and, uh, and, and this is what's happened. So 
so this is so they know about this since since 2014 at least maybe even before and then anyway it wasn't until april this year meldrum comes out with a statement he does the media rounds just on radio the radio media rounds uh to say yeah look these homes are not an immediate there's no immediate safety risk he says mm. uh but he says now in the case of a uh, of a cyclone yeah there could be some trouble so <laughs> we've told people you know they can't be in these homes and now this is what he says in april now he also goes on uh on one of the radio stations he went on was mixed and he said on that he said look the buildings have issues but i haven't deemed them to be a risk to the extent of issuing orders or notices on the owners mm. so here we go so he's saying which, that he's saying which uh, would have been himself wouldn't it well, yeah, look, I, as far as the anti-government in terms of their actual ownership of things now, I think that they were in there in the first or the beginning and they're out, but, uh, they, okay. but they still do have some sort of, they, they certainly have responsibility for these homes. Mm. And so he's saying, well, look, it, it's not that bad. Well, the first story we do last Friday, and, and then it gets weird after that. And there's something that happens after that that I've never seen in my seven years covering politics here and over 20 years everywhere else. I've never mm. seen this. It's but good, uh, good to keep it fresh though, Chris. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Yeah, that means scratching my head saying, wow, what are they doing? Anyway, we do the story and we say, look, we've got two engineering reports that the Meldrum and Dipple had received in January. So four months before they made the statement that the buildings had no real safety risk, only in the event of a cyclone. Now, what these two engineering reports into the unsafe home said was that there was, in fact, a risk of serious injury to the occupants and the community in a thunderstorm or any other high wind type event. Wow. Now, a thunderstorm is a pretty common occurrence in the northern lucky we're not in a storm prone area chris <laughs> well this is it this is where you know i think some some pretty serious stuff's happened here where the government was aware of serious safety issues with these 18 homes in bellamac and it really it, it appeared downplayed the significance of that and that you know, and, and we'll get into the next story after. But from these two reports, we see that there is uh, that they had found. So the government got this independent engineering firm to come in and look at it. Acer Forrester, they're called. And so they do a couple of the homes and they come back and they say, yeah, there's a risk of serious injury as a direct direct result of the noncompliance and conditions of the structure, as well as the risk to the neighboring properties uh they said it's the professional opinion of the authors that the house and this was just in the one into one of the houses which again they're all built by the same people uh structurally presents a safety risk of serious injury and to the occupants and community and the consideration is given to the demolition of the house without undue delay mm. now they're saying in these ones that remember they got this in january they wait in April, they come out and downplay the, the significance of it and the serious safety risk to the public of this. Uh, they're saying, uh, basically, you can't rectify these things, these buildings. They yeah. need to be demolished without undue delay. Uh, as you would expect, Meldrum did not respond to our question about <laughs> why he withheld crucial safety findings of the engineering reports and why he didn't disclose the community safety was put at risk during common weather events. Uh, now, those engineering reports... Sorry, were Chris, Chris, I just want to stop you there, right? Yeah. Because 
I, I just, it, this needs to sink in. The Pardon reports the pun. from January into two unsafe houses. Yeah, into two of the 18, yeah. Two of the 18 found that they should be demolished immediately. Without undue delay is what the engineers said. Okay. Mm. And are you saying that Mark Meldrum was on mix saying that uh, uh, that uh, there wasn't any immediate safety risk with those houses? Yes, with all of them, yeah. What the and, hell? But he had those reports in January. So how can he say that? Leon, I, I, I think that he's, yeah, uh, that there's some issues here uh, in terms now, of... Uh, I, I know that this is a four-letter word, uh-oh. But is this something that ought to, to be re- referred to ICAC? Like, what on, yeah, you know, yeah, you're sitting on a report. Right. I mean, so, so I need to be get my facts straight here. He's sitting uh, on a report that yeah. says two of those 18 houses need to be demolished ASAP. It, it gets worse, Leon. In the next story, we show that. Well, okay, so that was when he said that in April. Yeah, so let's keep it fair okay. that he had the two, at least two engineering reports. There were probably more. Who, but he who had at commissioned least those reports? He did. The anti-government and so he's it. commissioned these reports himself. Yes. The reports say these two houses are that bad; they need to be demolished almost immediately. Yeah. Right. Yes. And then he gets on mix. Yeah. What, at, around that time, or sometime later, later. No, it was so. Yeah. So that was in April. So he gets the reports in January. They okay. wait four months, and in April he goes out and he puts out the release saying it's not that bad. He goes on mix and he says the buildings have issues but I haven't deemed them to be a risk to the extent of issuing orders or notices on the owners. Okay. Yes. So so, so did he get another report in the interim period that made him feel better? I mean, no, no, what the heck is going on? No. Yeah. I mean, look, Chris, if you've got a report like this, right. That told you, Chris, you're the boss of these houses Two of these houses are that badly constructed, they need to be demolished as soon as possible. Would you then go on the radio four months later and say, look, I didn't think that was that big a deal? (laughs) No, because you can't justify that. You can't justify that. Uh, What he did before this, I can't recall. I think he asked me that before, Pete. Is he an engineer? uh, Don't know. I honestly don't know what his background is. Uh, I think we did have that before. But yeah, look, but this is like anybody who's in that position, like Leon saying, is uh, that's right. I mean, you're it's presented bizarre. with this. You're the one in charge of, of ensuring territorial safety in these in these buildings. And you just say, yeah, no. And and here's the thing, Leon, and here's why we, we know that he didn't receive anything else or that he and he thought it wouldn't be that bad was that Acer Forrester was in the meantime when he was doing this, they were looking at other homes. And he then gets an executive summary of report into five homes in August that show again that they all need to be demolished, that the corrosion is so bad in these places that like they said that that they couldn't even determine what impact, like what strength of wind would do this, but which would tear the roof. Off and the walls and the floors and so they were why like, didn't he just issue? Look, I, well, I don't understand. Why didn't he just issue an order to the builder to to demolish these things? So look, now we get into that issue with the builder is gone. 
Titan Homes, which was owned by George Milatis. I mean, they're not in business anymore as Titan Homes anyway. George Milatis very much still around. Uh, Bellamac Proprietary Limited, the developer as well. Uh, they're no longer in business as that entity, but there is, you know, the directors running this other company that's still getting contracts and building homes. And I think government home. Uh, and then you've got other people involved in this as well. I mean, you've got you've got the structural engineer who is everybody's favorite guy in town, John Scott, the guy who uh, did those Hello. nine other units. Yeah, and he was yeah got into some trouble there. So um, yeah, okay. I just want to, and I, I got to take you to this because I think it gets into what they're actually doing here in the government. <laughs> With, you know, the Minister Eva Lawler and Mark Meldrum, the, the director of building control. So we run this first story on Friday morning. Now, Friday afternoon at some point, I guess they called the ABC. Maybe they called the ABC Friday morning or even Thursday, but they called the ABC and they said, uh, yeah, do you guys want to come out to Bellamac? We're going to make an announcement today. And the ABC says, yeah, oh, OK, you're going to make an announcement. So they go out there to Bellamac, and once there, they're confronted by Eva Lawler, the minister, and Mark Meldrum. And I guess what transpires then, well, ABC realizes they're the only media outlet there. Now, I've never heard of this. I've never heard... Exclusive. Yeah, but, but this is really bizarre, because what they're announcing is that they're going to demolish nine or ten, very well, nine of the of the 18 homes, but it was in the in the certain package of 10 homes and then there's another package of eight homes but they were announcing we're going to demolish these homes they're unsafe i think eva lawler's quote was this just isn't good enough when she's looking at these homes and you know the photos that we ran were pretty damning there of like balconies falling apart you know and the rusty stuff falling down the corrosion everywhere and debris just hanging there ready for a, a swift breeze to take it into the neighbor's pool or child's head wow. or something so so this was supposed to be and you think okay well if, if this is a good news announcement that they're going to demolish these homes that they're finally going to follow what these engineers have told them why why isn't everybody there for that like why didn't they call i know why they didn't call us because we'd be asking them about this but why didn't they call nt news or channel nine or anybody else so anyway the story and then the story doesn't run until monday morning which is very weird. And then Monday evening on the 7 p.m. ABC bulletin. Anyway, I, I, like I said, guys, like in my years as a political journalist, I've never seen that where a department, you would think this is a good news announcement that you would only do it with one media outlet. And then, yeah. And then, oh, and then not even put out an official statement about it. That was the thing that I found really confusing. It took me a couple of days to write. I'm like, well, this is legit. I mean, I know the ABC's reporting and they told them that. So I guess we have to go on that. But, I mean, why wouldn't they put out an official statement saying we're going to destroy, we're going to demolish these homes and rebuild three of them and, you know, help the owners out? Well, you know, I don't know. The, the best that I can come up with is that they know that. And this is where I, I don't know what's wrong with these people, but they're basically saying, OK, we're going to follow the, the directions of engineers on these certain buildings now. Like I said, the, the reports that we had from Acer Forrester were actually in the other in regards to the other eight homes that aren't being raised. So they're demolishing uh. these nine homes and one of them's owned by Bellamac. And I think, well, I don't know what the deal is there. I, I don't know. They won't answer our questions, but 
you got 10 homes that were under uh, this HBCF, the Home Building Certification Fund, right? So they're saying, we're going to demolish all of these homes and we're going to rebuild some of them and we're going to put the occupants, the, the homeowners up, pay for whatever their accommodation while we do this. Uh, but these other eight homes that, that present a clear risk of serious harm to the community in as little as a thunderstorm or a strong wind event, uh, we're going to leave those up. And those were the ones that in January they were told in no uncertain terms they need to be demolished. There's no way to rectify them. In fact, in in this, so you know, he makes this announcement or they make this announcement last Friday. Uh, uh, we've got we've got a report now, an executive summary that went into more houses that showed that that there was no way to 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 fix them. The the, the in fact. They said, well, the only way you could do it is to put essentially a netting, like a webbing around the homes to ensure that the other neighbors are protected. Wow. And they said, but it's not really feasible to do that. And there's no way to rectify these issues. They need, again, to be demolished without undue delay. Uh, so they're just leaving these homes here. Uh, like one guy said that we talked to, he said, it's like living in a ticking time bomb here. Why would the government be stepping in for just half the people and not everyone? He said, uh, uh, you know, that, that, of course, isn't answered by the minister. She had told ABC that the affected homeowners who were forced, who were going to be forced to continue living in unsafe homes were, quote, aware of the potential danger and had received copies of the assessment report. She added that five homeowners with action underway through the residential building cover scheme could, as in might, receive up to $100,000 to rectify their houses. I'm sorry. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, I don't know either. Have you looked that up? Have you, you, has anybody asked any questions? I've never heard of this. Well, from what I understand, it's through Attorney General that there's something that was set up there and they have to go through, uh, what is it called? I have it in the story, the Community no, uh, Consumer Affairs. So when Meldrum had done his interview back in April, he also had Sandy Otto, the head of Consumer Affairs, talking about whether or not homes could be, uh, you know, how this would actually go down. Now, what what's never been made clear is why. Why? Now, we understood it, that it would be under the Fidelity Fund, that group, that that yes. thing that was there with the, these eight homes because of the time frame, we understand it was like dates of when complaints were made Correct. and so many years for builders to be out of the business and whatever. So some fell under that, some fell under the home uh, uh, certification fund. Now, why the government, when they're given reports from engineers saying that this is a, a, a serious safety risk, that these homes need to be demolished, why they don't just somehow put them all together for the sake of the community and public safety and just do the same thing. But they seem to be playing games. And you got the minister now saying that they could receive these owners who are going to be forced to live in these unsafe homes. They could receive up to 100000 bucks to rectify their houses. That's just plain wrong. No, because the engineer's report says there's no way to rectify these places. No, I've, never heard, I've never heard of the residential building cover scheme. And I've never heard of it, of anyone being able to receive up to a hundred thousand dollars. I have heard of the Fidelity Fund. Yeah. Which, which is a scheme that, that, yeah. uh, is a scheme of last resort. I happen to know something about it because I'm involved with it. Yeah. And I know that the compensation there is up to two hundred thousand dollars. I have no idea what she's talking about here. What is this? 
yeah, look, I don't know. We we sent questions to them and asked them. Uh, I assume that ABC would have asked. I don't know. Um, but this is... And now this is where it gets weird, though, right? Like, why haven't they put out an official statement saying this? Or saying what they're going to do if it was such a good news announcement. Now, you should check the date when the fund was set up, Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's been very recent. Yeah, there's something. There's a whole lot of other stuff I think going on behind the scenes here, and and exactly who's paying for the demolition on the other thing, and and how they're where the funds are coming from to 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 buy these homes and then tear them down, and some of them rebuild. Uh, you know, and meanwhile, though, I just get back to these people who are in these homes, so they're seeing these other homes being demolished, and they're like, well but we've got the structural engineer reports that say that our homes are very dangerous and need to be demolished right now. And you're saying, what, you're going to give us a hundred thousand dollars if we go through some long process, yeah. uh, possibly, which does them nothing, no good because they can't rectify it. Now it gets even worse here in my mind to the end where we're checking uh, title searches this week. We find that one of those eight homes, this, the ones that aren't being demolished, was sold. It was finalized. The sale went through on Monday for just over four hundred thousand wow. dollars. And that, as we know, and Mark Meldrum said, the government had not issued any notices that would have informed the buyer of his non-compliance that that building is worthless. That that building needs to be torn down immediately. Wow! And I'll tell you something else, right? Because having experienced uh, what life is like on a residential development site in the past 12 months as I have, if those buildings are not fit to go through just an average storm, the amount of shaking and vibrating that takes place when a house is being built would be well in excess of a little thunderstorm in Darwin. Yeah. So you would not <laughs> want to be in one of the houses that ain't being ripped down and having the one next door being re-erected. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of them are spaced up, but they're usually at yeah, two, three, four of them together, and they're kind of all over the place, right? To 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 mix it up. But yeah, look, just the final thoughts on this. But we'll, you know, we'll be doing more. We'll be looking into that, and we'll definitely look into this little mm. attorney general fund or consumer affairs thing. But there's no such thing, yeah, Chris. Okay. I'm telling you now, there is yeah. no such thing. More money right. being borrowed. So if from they're China. talking about the Fidelity Fund. Then, the, then they should have called it that. <laughs> exactly right. Correct. You'd expect the minister yeah. to be able to call it that, A, and B, know exactly what the cap is. Yeah. Uh, look, I think, look, I'll, I'll put it to one of the owners that we spoke to, to who said, you know, he's been fighting this nearly eight years, uh, trying to get these safety issues addressed. Uh, and he says, the reason this whole thing has taken so long is that they're trying to figure a way to get out of this unscathed. The government, the developer and builder, you know, everyone else, instead of looking after the homeowner here. And that's really what this is starting to look like. And if, if you're not going to, if you're making up funds, I mean, that's, that's a whole other crazy thing. But the fact that they didn't act on this engineering advice that they received at the time, that they downplayed it, that they misled the public ultimately, and you would say endangered people, endangered the public by not acting on this straight away. That's pretty serious. And, and, and you know, if they're just trying to cover this up now, which it sounds like, well, why not put out an official statement saying what you're going to do? That's the thing I just, it's just blowing my mind on that yeah. one. It's like, why do a secret press conference with just the ABC and then yeah. not say that publicly? It's, uh, we're going to, yeah, we're going to have to look into this more, but I'm, um, I'm, um, 
yeah, I'm telling you guys, this isn't good. And uh, yeah. Ooh, ooh, yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, look, it's the territory. It never appears to be any consequences. But I think when you start jeopardizing people's safety and stuff like this, when you're in a statutory role where your job is to ensure that their safety is protected at all times, well, we got big issues here. And yeah, whether or not it's the ICAC, Liam, whether or not it's the police at this point, I mean, I, I don't know, but somebody, some authority needs to be looking into this guy. And we've been, we've been talking about all the other issues for years now on this. So. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see what happens. Well, we'll keep pushing it and make sure something happens. Let's head to the last story now, Chris. And uh, I always like to have a bit of a laugh for the last story. So um, it's always good to see our uh, constabulary out there having some fun. And uh, apparently tyre spikes have been used by some probationary officers on the wrong car, leading to a crash, according to sources. Ah, uh, look... Wasn't this a scene from one of the police academies? At least they weren't shooting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank was, God. It, was it Hightower? Is it- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. It. <laughs> I'm sure it was either police academy or Chief Wiggum doing something like this. I don't know. Taking out the wrong car. Yeah. Uh, anyway, look. Yeah, this we we sent them questions. Uh, of course, they don't respond. To, I don't know when these guys are gonna learn that. They're better off actually talking to us and getting their point across to people instead of being, mm. you know, ridiculed and stuff and questioned on 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 their training again. Uh, and I'm talking about the executive here. Uh, yeah, look, you know, the stories about the police college, and we know that the training was not up to snuff. And uh, here we go. We've we've let these kids out here. Uh, they've now, yeah, thought that this car coming was. The car they needed to stop, so they throw out the tire spikes. Uh, the, the the quote from one of the sources here is: "They spiked the completely wrong vehicle and hit an innocent civilian driving past them with the spikes." So that car, then, as a result, lost control, became involved in a serious motor vehicle accident, where police staff then had to assist in extricating them from their now damaged vehicle. Oh wow! So this, yeah, I mean. Yeah. It just sounds ridiculous and that and the, they're allowed to do this. But then again, we're talking about serious public safety issues yeah. here when this happens. And so, uh, yeah, that's it. The, like one of the, the sources was saying this is an issue that of experienced members. When will we get experienced members back? My God, this is so dangerous. They said our, our, our police force is bleeding from within and this stuff happens regularly. But all involved are sworn to secrecy, and we were th- and we are threatened with our jobs if this information gets out. There are so many issues within our ranks; it's terrifying. And you know that's just that's just one story. I mean, we've heard we've heard some others. You know, we've always got to be careful with everything that we report. Can we get it verified by numerous sources and people who don't know each other, and and make yep. sure that we get this verified? And so for this one, we were able to do that. And um, in terms of that accident and stuff, look, I don't think that those people were seriously injured. It wasn't. It wasn't. Of course, it wasn't reported. The police didn't say, "Oh, this uh, collision happened. The car went off the road Saturday night." Yeah, it's not uh, the point whether they were seriously injured or not. <laughs> A perfectly, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, perfectly good working. Yeah, correct. <laughs> yeah, perfectly good working car. One moment that yeah. gets spiked the next. Now, you know, not too many people are uh, trained on how to deal with your car if you suddenly have two front tires blow out at the same time, and if you're doing over sixty kilometers an hour, 
bloody anything could happen, depending on the time of day, the traffic around. You know, what if there was a motorbike rider coming the other way or something? Well, hell could have broken loose. If it was a Police Academy episode, it'd be quite funny. But because it actually happened yeah. in real life, it's not funny. No, I did, but yeah. And you saying that about very few people are trained to know what to do when their front tires are taken out. Like, Jesus, yeah. yeah. I, I don't think that, that a lot of these cops who are graduating from the police college would be even trained in that. You know, like another story we heard, Pete, is that like they're letting like some of these, some of these constables who come or the recruits or whatever they call them yeah. in the college have, have never driven a manual vehicle before. And then Chris, I they cannot, have key plates and I cannot believe you were telling me that. I'll tell you a story that literally happened yesterday. Mm. Clearly I won't use any names. Of course. But <laughs> I I met someone who was considering entering the NT police force, whatever it is, whose relative senior officer, Mm. quote unquote, said to the younger relative, don't go anywhere near it. The the morale is that bad. The leadership is that poor. Mm. I I wouldn't wish it on my own worst enemy. Conversation then goes further. This person knows of someone just recently started, had never driven a manual car before, and a friend taught them how to do it a week before starting at the academy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and so and then they'll make a thing we heard, or like a like an order that they don't have to display the P plates. Um, imagine uh, on the police (laughs) yeah no but seriously it's an issue it's a thing like some of them have never driven driven before and they'll basically it looks like i mean the standards have dropped i mean they're not training there's still issues with the police college we're told they're not training properly but now it appears that they're accepting you know kids in junior high or something high school coming in (laughs) i yeah it's oh man it's and I'm just, not laughing at the people that are being that are being accepted. Good on them for giving it a go. But the fact that they can yeah. be accepted and literally not have the qualification, and we're talking a pretty minor qualification in a manual driver's <laughs> license. Yeah, that's 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 beyond mind. I mean, yeah. Well, welcome to the anti-police here, and uh, yeah, under Chalker's uh, command. Um, um, I don't know. Look, yeah, the, how many people are leaving? I guess they would be desperate to get people in, but uh, there needs to be this. Like, these people that we talk to day in and day out, the frontline guys are telling us these story guys and girls who are saying, you know, like like I said here, when will we get experienced people back? They're all leaving. They're just yeah, leaving yeah. and there's no one to train these guys. Like when they come out of yeah. the college, they're not trained properly and you need somebody to mentor them, show them how things are doing. We're, we're getting into a bad place here where the next years here i can't even imagine how bad it's going to be correct and i think if the people on the beat and you know those in uniform feel completely unsupported and abandoned then how could they expect to get anybody to join yeah yeah absolutely Pete. so uh something's got to happen in there Something like the whole culture needs to change, and that starts at the top, like we've said before. It's, it's generational, know. though, Chris. <laughs> well, I don't think they have time for that. 
really be honest. So we'll see what happens next year. Well, talking I'm guessing. about uh, things ha- changing, uh, Chris, have you had a chance to speak to Leah Fanocchiaro at all recently? I've not. No, I, uh, I've been meaning to call. I got to call them soon. I, but yeah, I, I, I do want. I, I would love you to follow up that story about um, uh, the Dennis Stedman report. And, oh, right, and why and she didn't follow that up. And why yeah. she didn't follow I, I think we are entitled to get some answers about that because that was yeah, a absolutely. very, very serious um, issue that required very close examination as to how a tender could have been uh, manipulated so that the firm coming forth uh, was, then, was then rearranged to come first. Yeah. Without any real explanation, yeah. why Dennis Stedman was so incensed to have written a report that was presented to um, Jody Ryan, yeah. why Jody Ryan dismissed the report, and yeah. why ICAC also investigated that. Apparently. And, uh, and the investigator, uh, Rex Wild QC, mm-hmm. yep. uh, felt that there was um, nothing worthy of uh of any serious punishment yeah that and why leah finocchiaro has not raised this in parliament i want to know yeah 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 so do i man yeah no there are plenty of people that i'm talking to out there that want to know about that yeah all right well we'll put it to them look we've got we've got that that's still serious and that's still hanging out there it's just hanging out there nobody's doing anything about it it shows you know serious integrity issues or lapses of integrity in the department of chief minister at the highest ranks of the public service and we've got another story that'll be coming out soon too that i'm hoping we'll talk about next week uh because then parliament's starting up again soon we should hopefully be talking about it next week but it's it's pretty serious too and goes to the heart of the 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 institutions and the integrity and the faith people have in things and in fact yeah, this is another thing that'll probably go to the ICAC, but yeah, we, the CLP needs to get on with it here. And it's just seemed like, like it's been months almost where they've kind of been on cruise control here and not, mm. not out there pushing things and, and holding the government accountable. So yeah, I, I look, I got to call them. We'll follow up on that. I'll, I'll report back to you next week when I find out what, what answer they give me on that and why they didn't raise that whole procurement scandal issue. Don't no, we turn can't up leave without your homework being done, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I like that kind of stuff. We shouldn't <laughs> we shouldn't leave this podcast, Chris, without revisiting an issue that I meant to talk to you about last week, but I forgot. And then uh, I, I mentioned it to you, and you said yes, definitely, we should discuss this on the podcast. And that okay, was, yeah, yeah. That was the issue of the uh, administrator and her salary. Yeah. Did you get to the bottom of that? And were there were there any changes to the story that you ran? Yes. So we did we did run a correction on that now this was uh, i'm trying to pull it up here remember it's a couple weeks ago now uh yeah so look we ran the correction saying that they you remember we talked about how she was getting paid uh three hundred thirty-two thousand dollars a year plus benefits on top of the free accommodation private chef and chauffeur covered by territorians uh and that she was entitled to then 60 percent of that as a pension for the rest of paternity for, for her uh which worked out to about 200 grand a year uh for a long time now what we were made aware of by the clp at the time well you know and then we we talked to them and they didn't want to comment on it we're like, well, what, 
why wouldn't you comment on this? I mean, we got to change this. Now there is an act that exists, and it's the uh, the Administrators Pensions Act, 1981. So I went through that before, and uh, uh, I looked at it, and I went through this, and I'm like, okay, it, because somebody had sent me that saying, look, this is it's still on the books here from 1981. It says 60 percent. So I said, okay. So I looked at it. I sent it to two other people that I that I trust. We wanted to make sure, like I tell you guys, we try and do things with like three sources. Make sure that you know different people confirm things. They had a look at it. It looks like it was my fault. I maybe didn't tell them that they should have looked at it as closely as as I as I did or I wanted it to be looked at, and. Uh, so anyway, what we find out now, so we ran that story saying that she was entitled to this. Now, going through that legislation, that all looked legitimate and that that was the case. Now, what the CLP brought to our attention was that there was an amendment to that uh, in 2006 by Claire Martin, who uh, this was about a year after she scrapped the politician's pension. Remember, we, we talked about how that was long gone, yep. uh, but how the administrators wanted somehow still been kept on the books and that act is still there. So it is very much still there. Now, apparently that act is there for the four administrators who, who were entitled to the lifetime pension before 2006. So we're talking Austin Ash, Neil Kahn, John and Nick Tomatis. John and Nick Tomatis, yep. Yeah, and Ted Egan. Now, they're oh, yeah. all entitled to that 60% pension for life. But Claire Martin, it appears she brought in this uh, amendment that capped it then that said no future administrator ah. will be entitled to this. So that was something that we missed. I think, Leon, if you got it there, Section 3AA or something. <laughs> And then you've got to go down to the to the notes at the bottom to see when that actually came in, because it doesn't say the year in that of when it would be. So then you go down the bottom of the footnotes and it says, yeah, Claire Martin, 2006. So, look, this is regrettable. This is uh, we didn't we don't like making mistakes, but sometimes we do. And uh, I've got to accept that. <laughs> and uh, it's really it really is grating on me because. You know, I, I strive so hard to ensure that everything that we report has been checked, double checked, and in fact, triple checked so that we don't make mistakes like this. And it's very important for us, too, as a new news site, uh, not to be making those mistakes. But at the same time, it's important to acknowledge when it does happen and when we did fail or let our readers down on that. So we did. And we said, you know, uh, Essentially, yeah, we apologize for this mistake. The original article stated that Miss O'Halloran was eligible for the lifetime pension. What she will receive upon leaving the role has not been disclosed, but the 2006 amendment appears to show she is not eligible for the lifetime pension. The anti-independent regrets any error that we made. Uh, and, you know, I was, I mean, I take these things like really hard because like, I've never mm. really had to do this before where we've had to, you know, it's still very much a story. We're not retracting the story. We still think her pension and her private chef and, or not her pension, sorry, her, her salary every year, her private chef chauffeur, the accommodations there. We still think that's costing taxpayers too much money. So it's still a story, but we have to admit that we got that part wrong. She's not, it appears she's not entitled to that pension. I don't know hundred percent for sure because they don't respond to me. And when okay. I kind of, you know, got down on myself about that. Um, yeah. My wife said to me, you know, but you, you, you haven't done that before because they used to talk to you. 
And I was like, that's right. When I was at the NT News and ABC, if I was following that story, they, the administrator would have come back and got sure. his office and said, Chris, look, here's the proof. 2006, that was changed. I'd say, hey, forget that. I'm a busy man. I don't need to bother doing that part of the story. We'll stick to the other thing. And I wouldn't have done it. I, I, I find that a bit, you know, sneaky on their part that we, of course, sent her the questions. We sent Gunner's office questions about this before we ran the story and they chose not to respond at any time if they had. I even went back to the administrator uh, personally, sent her a note of apology and said, you know, if, you know, if there's something that, that the NT independent has done to upset you or something where you, you know, you're in a statutory role, you're allowed to talk to us. Yeah. Uh, if something happened, let me know and let's fix it and let's work together here and ensure that, you know, no further mistakes are made or, or anything like this. Because it's really important for us to have the independent, to have these good relationships with everybody. And I don't want her thinking that we went out of our way to yeah, misrepresent yeah. something because that's not what we were doing. In fact, if she had have responded, you know, and we gave her like three days before we ran the yeah. story. If she had have responded, we would have, we would not have run that and we would have, you know, and everything would have been fine. But anyway, look, it all comes down to me. I'm the editor. I got to wear it. Uh, so yeah, we apologize to people for that mistake. We corrected it as soon as we were made aware of this new information. Uh, so that's what we've got to do. And hopefully that, you know, we continue to, to earn the trust of our readers and territorians. I've got a question for both of you just before we go. Unless, Leon, you've got something important to say. If you did have your own private chef, what's the first meal you'd order for yourself? Who are you yeah. to? <laughs> I, I, think I, thought prefaced, was, yeah. I prefaced it by saying both of you. Oh, I thought it was Leon. I was waiting for Leon's answer. He seems like the guy well, who'd have a private Leon's chef. Leon's had a private <laughs> chef when he <laughs> yeah. flies first class. <laughs> what do you get? Omelets, Leon? Omelets? Ah, uh, look. Uh, honestly, I prefer cooking myself. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, I went to an Indian restaurant for lunch the other day. I'm not going to say which one. And I. You know, it's a, it's one I would normally love to go to and, and have enjoyed the food there for years. I just ate the food and I thought, you know what, I can actually do better than this. Wow. <laughs> That's a terrible state of affairs. Like, well, I, I find I myself that way too in Australia with food, some of with pizza especially, and I think, nah, I can do better. <laughs> um, well, that's true. We don't go do, and do better. Like the Yanks. And hamburgers too. I can... Some places have some decent hamburgers now, but I can make good hamburger. That's and that's what I was thinking. I'd get the private chef first. Yeah, do me a hamburger, but but yeah, it'd be good. Cool. I reckon sure, I'd right. just go for the bog standard <laughs> scrambled eggs with bacon. <laughs> yeah, a good scrambled eggs with bacon just keeps me going all day. So yeah, anyway. that's well, good. you know, these days you can you know whatever food you want. Just type it into YouTube and bang, you will have <laughs> 50 people show That's you true. how to cook it with the recipe step by step. I mean, it just doesn't get any better. Honestly, I am cooking food that I love from Malaysia uh, oh, nice. just, just by looking, uh, just by watching YouTube. And, well, um, maybe invite Her Majesty by some night. Maybe she likes <laughs> We say hello to uh, the administrator, Vicky O'Halloran, if she's listening, and, and to her husband, Craig, who I know, and he's a good guy, and I, you know, I enjoy his company. I just feel bad that you know, they're caught up in this whole anti-independent uh, you know, 
what do you, whatever you want to call well, it. the gunner government ban Wrong on the words, NTA man. The it's just yeah. it's just not necessary you know no, there are not. plenty of other public servants that are talking to you yeah including and not limited to the election electoral commissioner yeah and, yeah, and the courts and oh yeah and all kinds of the children's you know, commissioner all kinds of I can't even roles. talking to you aren't they yeah I think yeah. Yeah. you're back on speaking terms eh? for now for now we'll see how far that goes yeah uh, you know I just it's that's what a vibrant democracy is all about yeah absolutely you yeah. know and the administrator more than anyone else should know that mm-hmm. you know I mean you, you don't have to be a, a, a student of history to go back and look at uh, and read about the administrator Gilruth, and uh, yeah. which Avenue is named after, who was run out of town. Yeah, that's so, right. So they good to have a street them. named after them. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's the right thing to do. It's an important thing to do. You might not necessarily like the stories that are written about you. I mean, you know, I'm waiting for the day that Chris writes a story <laughs> about me that is going to be bad, and, you know, I'm bracing myself <laughs> for that. But... Uh, but you'll answer my questions first, I'll and I'll, and I'll tell you, it won't be as bad. Then. That's the secret. <laughs> That's the secret. Engage with media for people who and, don't know and that, t- and take responsibility. Them. That's it. Yeah, you know, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I just, you know, I really implore the administrator and and anyone else who is in government that, you know, do the right the right thing. Do this for the sake of democracy. Do this for the sake of, you know, holding up our values and our institutions. So I yeah. would like to end on that note. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Good job, Leon. Thanks, Chris. All right, guys. See you next week. Catch you next week. See you, Leon. I'm, I'm giving you a special good night this time. Thanks a lot. Weekends with Walshi back again next week on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. We'll catch you then. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to TerritoryStory.com. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.